Coming to you from the greatest city in the world, this is the number one showbiz podcast. It's Talk for Two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey. Thank you, Gary. That's our announcer, Mr. Gary Owen. And as always, thank you to our season sponsors, Axtel Expressions and the Tangent Bound Network. Find fantastic podcasts at tangentboundnetwork.com, and all your entertainment needs are at axtel.com. These two guys have supported us since the beginning, and I love them to death. Today, we welcome one-fourth of one of the most legendary, forget country music for a minute, one of the most legendary vocal quartets in music history, period. That's the way I wrote it. Music, history, and then there's that dot. It's a period. End of sentence. It couldn't be more appropriate because Richard Sturban is the bass singer for the Oak Ridge Boys. Sturban's career includes a stint with the Stamps Quartet, spending about a year and a half of his association with J.D. Sumner's gospel group, singing backup for the king himself, Elvis Presley. This association would lead to Sturban and his amazing voice on a career that would land him with the Oak Ridge Boys in 1972. And the voice, the bass voice, really is amazing. It was just it was just so wonderful and hypnotic to listen to him speak and tell his stories with his wonderfully rich voice. Now, if you do the math, 1972, he's been with the group for the better part of half a century. And though the band, consisting of members Sturban, Joe Bonzel, Dwayne Allen, and William Lee Golden are into their fifth decade performing together, they are not resting on their laurels by any means. This past March, the group released 17th Avenue Revival, an album that takes the Oaks back to their gospel roots, while also blending in the traditional country sound for which they are known. Sturban explains Revival's title for us today. It's a really interesting story having to do with the legacy of the studio in Nashville where the album was recorded. The Oak Ridge Boys will be appearing at the NYCB Theater at Westbury on Long Island on May 17th. Tickets are available at the theater site, which of course is linked below in the description box on our website, and I'll tell you how to go there in just a second. On a personal note, Sturban has authored a book, 2013's From Elvis to Elvira, My Life on Stage, co-written with Stephen Robinson, and I mention Robinson because... Uh, Richard actually talks about how Robinson came into the picture. These stories are told in a way that will keep you turning the page and on the edge of your seat. And I wrote that, but I mean it because I got the book. I didn't have time to read the whole thing. I had to skip to the chapters that we would be talking about. But now that we did the interview, I'm back reading it again. And anytime I have to step away from it, I'm really, really sad because this is such a fascinating career told about in such a wonderful way, wonderfully written they're great stories, and you need to read this book if you want to know anything about Richard Sturban or the Oak Ridge Boys. It's really, really awesome to read. Sturban's book and the Oak Ridge Boys' new album are available by clicking links below in the description on talkfor2.com, and that's how you get to all of those. You click them, they'll redirect you to the Oaks homepage or to the NYCB Theaters page. Make sure you go to talkfor2.com and click those links. Here now to tell us how his Christian upbringing influenced the wholesome nature of his music, our interview with Richard Sturban. Richard Sturban, welcome to Talk for Two. How are you today, sir? Well, Matt, thank you for the welcome. I it, It's certainly an honor and, and, a, and a privilege for me to be able to talk to you and to talk to your fine your, uh, listeners out there, certainly. Well, I have loved your group for uh, quite a number of years, and I love listening to you. I love listening to the harmonies. And my first question for you before we get to the new album and the tour is I read your book, Elvis to Elvira, and um, I'm just curious, how did being the child of immigrants, if it did at all, affect your music and uh, affect your style? 
the only thing I can say about that, you know, my my parents, you know, raised me in in a, in a Christian home. Mm-hmm. They taught me right from wrong, and actually, they to a point controlled what I what I could listen to as as a young boy. You know, they they uh, uh, didn't want me to listen to any kind of music that you know that that talked about you know bad things, you know, negative things, you know, uh, and 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 want me to you know listen to gospel music as much as possible, which is something that I did, you know. And so it definitely was an influence on me, there's no question about it. And not just on me personally, but I think it influ- that has influenced all of the Oak Ridge boys. You know, we were all raised in Christian homes. We were all taught right from wrong. And I think that has followed us into our adult lives and into our into the business that we conduct as Oak Ridge Boys, mm-hmm. and we even in with our country music, you know, and we we originally started as a gospel group, but even in our country music, you know, uh, we've always tried to, to sing songs and talk about good, positive things, you know, uh, you know, long lasting relationships. You know, uh, as opposed to, you know, cheating and, you know, getting drunk and stuff like that. We try to shy, shy away from songs like that. You know, we sing about good, good, positive things. So our upbringing and, and my upbringing, you know, uh, uh, you know, certainly ha- has been a factor, you know, uh, for, you know, for me personally, as well as all the Oakridge boys. That is wonderful. And you mentioned gospel music, and I know you just got back to gospel music with this new album. What was it like uh, recording this, knowing you grew up singing it and listening to it? What was it like for you? This new well, album? you know, it, it was a very special thing, you know, and, and uh, uh, you know, we were inducted into the, into the Country Music Hall of Fame yes, about sir. two and a half years ago, you know, as you probably know, you know, in, in October of, two, uh, you know, 2015. And after our induction, we wanted to do something special, you know, and we wanted to do, you know, make a special statement and do something monumental to commemorate the fact that we are now Country Music Hall of Fame members. Mm-hmm. So, so we, we got together and, and we remembered uh, about eight years ago working with a, a gentleman named Dave Cobb. Uh, on a project called The Boys Are Back. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to know Dave Cobb through Shooter Jennings, and Shooter Jennings actually wrote the title song for that project, The Boys Are Back. But anyway, Dave Cobb took us down some roads musically that we had never traveled before, and he and, and he produced a very special project on us. So we talked, let's see if we, uh, uh, let's try to get in touch with Dave Cobb and see if he would, would be willing to work with us again. So we had our manager, Jim Halsey, called Dave Cobb and and, uh, and uh, to see if he would be willing to work on a project with us. Dave Cobb says, sure. He said, man, I'd love to work with you guys. He says, he says, we're family as far as I'm concerned, and I'd be glad to work with you guys. However, it took some time to get it together. We had to, we had to kind of wait in line, so to speak. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Dave Cobb, so he, he's... He, Back then, he when he, he did that first project, he was living in Los Angeles. Since then, he's moved to Nashville, and he is now probably the hottest producer in town. So we had to wait our turn, basically, and it took over a year to kind of get it together. But then Dave Cobb called us. He said, uh, "He said, let's have lunch." He says, "I've got a vision for this project, and I, I, I want to kind of lay it out to you guys." And so we met 
and had lunch with him at a place called the Pie Wagon, which is right on and, and, and Music Road, which just since closed down, by the way. But but anyway, we we had we had lunch there, and uh, he laid out his vision for this new project. And I have to admit, he was a little bit different than I think any of us were really expecting. <clears throat> but he said what he wanted us to do. He said, I want you guys to think about Elvis. I want you to think about uh, Ray Charles and even some of the old blues guys. What was it about those guys that made them so special? And and they all had one thing in common. They all started singing in church. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the first thing that they ever did. So he said, what I want to do, and let, let's even go further back than that, he said. Let's even include some of the old black gospel as well. But let's go and, and let's try to capture that feeling of an old-time revival meeting. You know, let, it doesn't necessarily have to be an all-gospel album. A lot of it will be. But he said the most important thing is we want to capture that feeling of being in church, being and singing in an old-time uh, revival meeting, an old-time prayer meeting or something to that effect. And, 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 and so that's what we tried to do, you know, uh, even though some of the song is, is not an all country album, there's some really, I mean, not an all gospel album. There's some good, you know, cool new country songs on there as well. But that, we, we, we captured that feeling, you know, and that's what we were able to do. Uh, it was Dave Cobb's idea. To, he, he came up with the idea for the title as well. Just 17th Avenue Revival. And, and, and the title has a couple of meanings. It talks about, you know, uh, uh, Music of 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 the of the spirit. Music, I mean, uh, revival of the spirit, revival of the soul. And this this music is certainly doing that. You know, when people hear this music, it is touching them. You know, and, and touching them spiritually. You know, so it has to do with that certainly, but it also has to do with the uh, with RCA Studio A, uh, right there in, in the heart of Music Row, where we recorded this project. They were going to tear that studio down bulldoze it and build con- high-rise condominiums or apartments or something, but uh, we were able to save the studio. You know, everybody in the music business got together and signed petitions, and, and the studio was saved, and, and uh, Dave Cobb has actually moved in there, and he's made that his office, oh, wow. and he, he does he does all his work there. But this, this al- album also represents a revival of that old studio, probably the most historic recording studio, you know, on, you know, in, in Nashville, you know, Chet Atkins recorded there, you know, all of his stuff there. In fact, Dave Cobb has actually moved into Chet Atkins' old office, wow. <laughs> believe it or not. That's but, crazy. but you know, Elvis, Elvis recorded there, you know, Dolly Parton has recorded there, you know, Hank Williams, some of the biggest names in country music, you know, and, and, and so we were honored to work in that old studio. And so, so, to make a lo- try, you know, I, I've already kind of got along here with this story, but to try to make the story shorter, you know, we were able to accomplish with Dave Cobb's help what we set out to do. I think we we were able to you know uh, to record you know a, a monumental project, and we're very very happy with the way it turned out. Seventeenth Avenue Revival. And 17th Avenue Revival is an amazing album. I think it strikes the balance of that country and that gospel flavor just so, so well. I want to ask, you may not know the answer to this, but how did it come about that RCA was, that that studio was not going to be torn down? Was your project instrumental in helping it not uh, go the way of that? 
was your project the well, one that stopped it? Well, you know, the, 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 uh, the you know, it, there was a lot of news and a lot and, and a lot of controversy surrounding that studio, and 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 everyone in the music business, it seemed like, kind of got on board. And, and like I said, in signed petitions, and were able to save the studio. So the studio was already saved, uh, you know, by the time we got there and started working with Dave Cobb, because he, you know, he's he, he's done several, you know, things there with Chris Stapleton. You know, he's he's recorded with the Zach Brown band there. You know, Jason Isabel. You know, several of the artists that he produces. So it was it was already well and up and going again, so to speak. You know, before we got there, but but we feel like. Our project is is, is is part of the celebration of, of, you know, reviving that old studio again. That's really wonderful. And there's a lot of history there. You talked about Elvis recording there. And you have history with Elvis. You wrote about that again in your really splendidly and very picturesque and well-written book, uh, From Elvis to Elvira. Um, you talk in the book about how much of a practical joker Elvis was, and I've seen you give interviews where you talk about his sense of humor. Do you have a favorite uh, joke or story from your time with the band that uh, that can give us some insight into his sense of humor? Well, you know, yeah, Elvis loved to play practical jokes. You know, you know, for, for, for about two years prior to joining the Oak Ridge Boys, I I sang with J.D. Sumner in the Stamps Quartet. And for about a year and a half, you know, of that, I, you know, I worked with Elvis, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, you know, at that time, you know, Elvis was the biggest star in the world, exactly. and and his tour, his tour, his tour was the, uh, you know, the biggest tour in the music business back then. So to be a part of that, it was very exciting. It really was, and I had some very fond memories of working with Elvis. I got to know him just a little bit, and and had a chance, you know. to... to to kind of have some experiences with him, and as I, as you you, know, you you know you posed in your question, you know, <laughs> you know, did he like to play jokes? He sure did. <laughs> he loved to play. He loved to play practical jokes, and probably the best, the probably the most, the best played practical joke that I've ever been a part of was 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 uh, <laughs> involved Elvis. You know, uh, we were playing in Las Vegas mm-hmm. at the at the place called the Las Vegas Hilton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and and Elvis uh, did two shows back then. And, and and one night after the first show, we were in our dressing room, and uh, we were standing there. And then uh, through the Elvis walked through the door of our dressing room, and I'm talking about the Stamps Quartet. Now he walked in there, which was highly unusual. He had never done that before. Wow. And he said, "Fellas," he said, "Fellas, there there is there's there's a threat on my life." Says we've had this kind of thing before over the, over the years, but this seems like the real deal. He said. He said, "I want you guys to come up to my suite here in, in the next few minutes." And, and Sonny and Red has two bodyguards, and several of the hotel security guards are going to be there. We want to talk, you know, uh, talk this over as to what we're going to do. He, he's, he's this guy's coming to the second show, and he claims he's going to get me. So, so we want to we want to talk this thing over. So we want you guys to come up up to my street here in a few minutes, and and, and we'll talk about this. And we were, and then he he left, and so I remember we all looked at Judd and went, "Wow, this, this must be serious," you know, because Elvis never came into our in our dressing room before like that. <laughs> so uh, we we all got together, we got on the went up to the top of the elevator, and we 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 uh, knocked on the door of Elvis's suite, and there was like some commotion down the hall, and there, there's some guy like standing there, looked like he. Uh, 
Like, and the security security guards ran over there and grabbed him and, and just threw him out of there. I didn't know how in the world he ever got there. But anyway, the door of the suite finally was open. We walked through the door of the suite, and there Elvis was standing in the middle of the room. He's kind of plunking on the piano. And he said, you know, this... Once again, this this seems like a real thing, you know. We we, we said, I've had threats on my life before, but this seems like the real thing. And so he says, Sonny and Red here are going to give you guys some instructions. And so they were saying, you know, uh, we want you guys to be. You guys are going to be, sta- uh, you know, standing in, in your usual spot on the stage. Sonny is going to be on one side of the stage. Red is going to be on the other side of the stage. And he says, we want you to. Pay attention to what we're doing, and we want you to look out into the audience, and if you see anybody that looks suspicious at all, get Sonny's attention or Red's attention. And so they were explaining this to us, and while they were doing that, all of a sudden the door of the suite comes open again, and this guy yells, Carsley, I am going to get you, and he, he has a gun, and he starts firing. He starts shooting. And all of a sudden, all the security guards, you know, pull out their guns. and They start firing back, you know, and, and everybody dies. You know, I, I dove under a table, you know, and, and uh, oh, no. everybody <laughs> tried to die for cover. And and, uh, and 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 Elvis fell to the floor. And J.D. Sumner, he he was worried about Elvis. He he got on top of Elvis to try to protect Elvis. And when he got on top of Elvis, he all of a sudden he knows Elvis was kind of shaking. He was like, Elvis was laughing so hard, he could not almost control himself. <laughs> and, oh, my goodness. And, and, uh, and one of our guys, Donnie Sumner, who was Elvis, who was J.D.'s nephew, got, he got behind the bar, and he got this big old jar of you know tomato juice they used to make Bloody Marys or something. And he was about to throw the tomato jar at the guy who was shooting. And, 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 and all of a sudden, he said, he said, Donnie, stop it. This is just a joke. You know, nothing, stop <laughs> oh, no. it. And <laughs> and and it, it came to it, we found out later that all the all, you know the guy that was shooting and, and all the uh, you know security guards and everyone they uh, they they were all fly, firing blanks they were not real bullets but it sounded like you know and I I just knew I was going to die you know I dove under oh a table try to try to protect myself and it, it but it was the most real practical joke has ever been played on me personally yet, really that I can never recall in my lifetime. And I remember by the time we got on stage for the second show, I was still shook up because it was so real. It really was. So, so yeah, yeah. Elvis, Elvis was a very practical jokes kind of a guy. It really was. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just baffled why he thought that was even funny. <laughs> what what sense of humor was to find that funny? That's crazy. Yeah. That's fun. Um, so let's. Uh, I just wanted to know why is it important? I love hearing these stories. Why is it important to you? You dedicate a good portion of the book to uh, to Elvis's career and your time with him. What what encourages you to continue telling these stories and to carry on his legacy by telling of your time with him? What what is important about Elvis to you to this day? Well, you know, I sang as I told you. I sang you know for, for about two years prior to joining the Oakwoods Boys. I, you know, sang with Ella, sang with the King of Rock and Roll. And it was a very special time in my life. There's no question about it. And every, for, for years now, when people found out that I sang with Elvis, immediately they want 
to hear some Elvis stories. So many times people have told me, you know, what was it like working with Elvis? You know, what kind of a guy, excuse me, what kind of a guy was Elvis? Uh, you know, tell me some Elvis stories. You know? And I spent so much time talking about this that I decided, you know, I probably ought to write this down, you know, and maybe put, put it possibly in a book form. You know, I am not a writer. I did not pretend to be a writer. Uh, so I one day I got in touch with a good friend of mine, uh, a gentleman named Steve Robinson. He's probably the most, you know, the, he's probably, let's put it this way, probably the best Elvis historian that I know. And, 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 and he's also a great writer. And I approached him at some political rally one day that we were attending. And, and, and I, I said, you know, I would really like to, to, to write a book about Elvis. And, I, and I'm not a writer myself, but I know you, you can write. Would you be willing to write a book about Elvis with me? And he said, absolutely, yes. He says, he says you know, he says, let's get together. I have some great ideas. And and, uh, and and so we we sat down and and you know we start we started to write this book. Once we got into the book and started writing about Elvis, you know, we realized also there was a lot more of the story to tell than than just my time with Elvis. Right. So if you are a great Elvis fan, you know you're going to love this book because there are some great Elvis stories in the book. Like the one I just told you about the practical joke he played on. You know, that's in the book. But, you know, the, if you're an Oak Ridge Boys fan, there's also great Oak Ridge Boys stories in there. I talk about, you know, most, you know my years that I've spent with the Oak Ridge Boys. And, uh, and, uh, uh, it's really, you know, probably more than anything, my personal story. Right. I go back to my, I go back to my early childhood days. I go, go back to the first singing that I ever did, you know, believe it or not, as a boy soprano. <laughs> oh, wow. I was a boy, I was a boy soprano, you know, and I talk about that in the book, you know, and I talk about, uh, you know, my voice changing. I was in junior high school, still, still singing tenor, you know, in the Glee Club in seventh grade and over the summer between seventh grade and eighth grade, my voice made a drastic change. It really did. <laughs> oh, wow. And, and, and I remember going back to the eighth grade year and the choir teacher putting me back in the, uh, she actually put me in the second base section. And, you know, I've, I've obviously been there ever since, you know, so, 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 you know, I, I'm really happy with the way the book turned out. And, and I said, you know, it, it's because of, of, for so many years, people wanted to know about Elvis. I decided to write it down. And so that's what I did. And I, I think it turned out really well. And I love the title of the book, you know, it's called From Elvis to Elvira. It pretty yes. much, it, the title pretty much says it all. It really does, you know. And so if anyone's interested, you know, you go to oakridgeboys.com, you know, you, and there's a link there that uh, takes you to how you can buy the book, you know, and you can download it, uh, you know, on Amazon, you know, and it's available in other places. Or you can, like, you know, till we come to town sometime, you can buy it from us. We sell it, you know, with our other merchandise. That's wonderful. And we were going to, when this show goes up, I'm going to link to it. And I talk about that at the top of the show and the and the end of the show. I'll make sure everybody uh, knows where to get it and can click on the link when they come to our website 
as well. And of course, this is a perfect transition to talk about your time with the Oak Ridge Boys. And you mentioned Elvira. And this is a story that you tell a little bit in the book. But I'm curious about the moment you guys first sang Elvira and then you had to put it on repeat. You had to encore it three and four times in the middle of the show. What was that like, that first night singing Elvira? Well, you know, I, I, when we recorded Elvira, I think we all felt that we had something special on our hands. The song, you know, a, a gentleman named Ron, Ronnie Yanks, who worked for the Acuff Rose Publishing Company, he was in Texas on a vacation. He heard a band in a, in a, in a country music bar, country music lounge, performing Elvira, and it impressed him as a song that would be great for the Oak Ridge Boys. So after his vacation, he got back to Nashville. He, he and he knew his company, you know, published the song. He he dug out Dallas Frazier's original version. Dallas Frazier wrote the song. He had a hit on the song uh, many years ago, and and uh, and uh, again dug out you know Dallas Frazier version, made a copy of it, sent it to Ron Chancey. And I remember Ron Chancey getting us all together and said, fellas, I've got something that I want you to listen to. I think you're going to like this. And he played Elvira for us in his office. We were listening to other songs. We were compiling songs you know, for, our, for our new album that we were about to work on. And, and I remember when he played Elvira in, the, in, in his office, we all looked at each other and we were like, wow, you know, this is really a song that we've been looking for. This, this this could really be something special. It was the first time I had ever heard the song. And some of the other guys, I think Dwayne and, and, and William Lee, had, had, were familiar with the song. They had heard it before, but I had never heard the song before. And I, I thought, wow, you know, this is really this is really pretty cool. And so it seemed like just a few days later, we started working on this new project. And I remember being in the studio working on the song. It went down so easy, you know. We got it in just a, you know a couple of takes, and I remember uh, everybody was smiling. All of the musicians were smiling. You know, the song felt like a hit record. It felt like it was going to be a hit. But even after we recorded it, even though we thought we had something special, we did not realize how special. We didn't start realizing how special it was until the very first time that we ever recorded the song in person, the time that you're referring to. You know, we were in Spokane, Washington, Mm -hmm. at the Opera House, and it was the beginning of a West Coast tour. And uh, right in the middle of the show, we we decided to try out some of the new songs from the new album. Elvira was included in those songs that we were going to try out on the audience. We did, and we didn't say a word about it. We just started doing the song. And and the place went crazy. I mean, they they it was unbelievable the response we got. People were up singing, dancing, and we had to encore that song several times. Actually, I, I lost track of how many times we. But then we put it. We did it at the end of the show again. We had to encore it at the end of the show. You, you would think that we had given those people a million dollars apiece the way they acted. It was, it was really unbelievable. Of the response, and then the song continued getting that kind of a response throughout the rest of that West Coast tour. And then we that's when we realized, you no, know, this we do have something special in our hands. We called our record label and told them about what, what the response we're getting on the road with this song. We said, we, We've got to get this thing out because it is going to be a monster record. And sure enough, we did, we got it out, 
And in, in 1981, it was only one of two platinum single records in the whole music, not just country music, but the whole music business. Oh. And, uh, and, and, and to this very day, it is still one of the largest selling single records to ever be recorded in Nashville. You know, it, it's our signature song. And regardless of where we go or what we do, uh, Elvira is a must. It's the law. The Oak Ridge Boys, have, Oak Ridge Boys, have to sing Elvira. You know, and, and you can count on the fact that if you ever come to an Oak Ridge Boys show, you know, you're going to hear a lot of his songs, and, and you know some of you know probably some of the new music from 17th Avenue Revival that we're very excited about, of course. But you're going to also hear Elvira. You're going to hear me do Giddy Up, a Oom Pop, a Oom Pop, a Mouth Mouth, because that is the law. <laughs> that that's these that's these song that the Oakwood Boys are known for. It is. It, do you ever get? T- I always ask this. I ask this of Charlie Daniels and Devil. I ask this of Garth and Friends. Do 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 you get tired of it? Do you get tired of of playing that song, or is it just as much fun one night as it is the next? You know, you you, you never get tired of it because you know the, the people respond at the end of our show. Even, you know. Granted, our audiences, you know, for the most part, are older now than they used to be. We we have some new younger fans that mm-hmm. come to see us now. You know, like you know, because you know, some of the the recording we have done in recent years, working with new young producers, we we've recorded some music that is relevant to the current marketplace. So we do draw some young people to our audiences, but for the most part, a lot of our audiences have, have gotten older, you know, along with us. But even though it, it, even though the people are uh, are older now, you know we hit the intro to Elvira. Everyone, even to this very day, they still stand up. They they sing along. They know all the words. You know the men in the audience try to sing "Oh Papa Mama" along with me. You know it, and and it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's so when you get that kind of a response, you know it, 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 if that doesn't excite you then you probably need to find something else to do, you know? So, so, so we don't get tired of doing Elvira because it, you know, it, it you know, it's, it's the song that uh, everyone wants to hear from the old words boys. Yeah. And we, we wish we had two or three more Elvira's, believe me. <laughs> so, we, so we, so we do not get tired of singing Elvira. I love it. Now, my last question for you is uh, J.D. Sumner gave you some pretty funny faux advice. You talk about it in the book. But what is your advice to people that want to be singers? What's your advice uh, to those upcoming? Well, I, I say, first of all, you, you, you've, got to, you've got to make a decision as to what it is that you want to do with your life. You've got to decide what your calling is in life, you know. Once you decide that, if you decide that singing is what you're meant to do with your life, then then you've got to work on your craft. Every day, you've got to think about it. You've got to work on it, you know, and, 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 and try to become the best singer that you can possibly become, you know. And every time you get a chance to, 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 to perform and to use your talent, you've got to use it because you never know who's listening. So and and then when you do perform, you've got to perform to the very best of your your ability all the time. You can never slack off and and, and relax. It's, it's always got to be good. And and when I and when I say you can't relax, you have to be relaxed. But you have to have fun, you know. But but you can't slough off is what I'm saying. You've got to do it to the very best of your ability. And if you if you work on your craft, you become the best that you can possibly become, and you always do it. You know, as as well as you can possibly do it. You know, 
good things will happen to you. You know, there's one thing about you know being successful in life: the harder you work, the luckier you become. You know, and 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 there's a lot of truth to that. And that that that, that comes with being a singer as well. You know, uh, there's no set plan that I can lay out for you. I can I cannot give you a formula where you go from point A to point B to point C and then. Some one day you wake up as a, a successful country music you know performer. You know it, it, it does not happen that way. Everyone has made it in a different way. So you have to find your own way. You know, and 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 the more you work at it, the more you discover your way and how how that way is supposed to be. So that's the best advice I can I can give you. You know, once you decide what you want to do, don't let anything deter you from reaching your goal, and from accomplishing your goal. That is wonderful advice. Richard Sturban, thank you so much for spending time with uh, me today. And I will yeah. see you later this month at Westbury. So, uh, Oh, in Westbury. Okay. Well, that that's great. We'll look forward to that. You know, uh, we, we don't get to your part of the country. Very, you know, I'm from New Jersey, and right. I love, you know, I love coming to the Northeast, and, and I look forward to being you know, coming back to Westbury again. All righty. Well, thank you so much, sir. I really appreciate it. All right, thank you, sir. Bye. Bye. Bye now. That's it for us today. Thanks to Richard Sturban for spending a full half hour with me. I feel like we barely scratched the surface. So, Richard, if you're listening to this, please come back soon. And remember, you can catch Sturban and the rest of the Oak Ridge Boys at the NYCB Theater at Westbury on Thursday, May 17th. Thanks again to our season sponsors, Axtel Expressions and the Tangent Bound Network. We talked about them at the top of the show. Stay tuned to TalkForTwo.com as well as Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for more from our show. Reach out by emailing TalkForTwoCast at gmail.com and talk about us on social media using hashtag TalkForTwo. So you can either add us or hashtag us. What a world we live in. And remember, TalkForTwo.com, that's what I love to call the mothership. And you can go there. You can go to this episode on that website and click all the links to visit the Oak Ridge Boys and make sure that you get your tickets for their appearance on May 17th on Long Island. Signing off, I'm Matt Bailey, reminding everyone out there to keep talking for two. You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at talkfor2.com.